James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm okay. You look like you are... I'm on holiday. So I'm more <laughs> than okay. I'm holla K. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's good. Um, what are we talking about today? All right. Well, today we're talking about the topic of enjoyment and what are the most enjoyable things in your life. So this is... Yeah, uh, to me, then we because this is what we started to do is like we want to try to define the definitions of this and then build models about what you know each definition can mean because a definition with a model is often able to be understood better than one without it and then apply it through circumstances and apply like different you know lenses at it. So what is like a I don't know a straw man lens and a, and a steel man lens on something so you can start to understand things more. And I think as usual, I was like, what are the most enjoyable things in your life? Which is what just to talk about them and then it's kind of like my head is like well how have that changed over the years like what was it like because I can't really remember you know anything below like late single digits like five to ten I could remember something below five not much but James had already thought of of the definition of this being different so over to you James so this is is where it's going to either get fun or not enjoyable very far (laughs) (laughs) but um so one of the things that Duncan and I have been talking about like, you know, about our podcast is that it really helps to make sure that we're on the same page when we know when we have a discussion or a topic. Mm. And so where we start off, it's like making sure that like, let's try and make sure we define this properly. And that's where things get interesting. So for me, when I think about what enjoyable means, I, th- I think of it as referring to something that gives, you know, pleasure or delight to an individual uh, but mostly that it's a subjective experience. It varies from person to person. It depends on the person's taste, preferences, and interest. So the operative words I give there are, you know, pleasure, delight, experience, and subjective. So what that kind of like highlights to me is that this is not necessarily, in my view, synonymous with a lot of the other kind of words that we generally associate to enjoyment, things like happiness, satisfaction, meaning, purpose, all of those kind of things. So for me, I think of it as something separate, but I'm I'm keen, I'm keen to know what you think, Duncan. So um, just so you know, that James and I try to take it in turns to come up with whatever the kind of topic for the podcast is. And this is my one. And it was just meant to be the most enjoyable things in your life, not sort of like deciding that there were some things that weren't enjoyable, but that were, I don't know, happiness or satisfaction. So it's literally like, what, what are they and why? And talk about different areas. Um, and... So to me, and then it's like, what makes them enjoyable? And so to me, part of the fun was like, this is, I think I might've said this in the podcast before, like 18 year old Duncan didn't have very many categories of fun or enjoyment. There was like, I don't know, playing games, like whatever, poker, you know, Nintendo, or talking crap with your mates. That was basically it, right? And then there was more like, but skiing would, you know, or something like that, going to the beach and, going, you know, swimming in waves or something would kind of fall into that. And with the benefit of hindsight, um, these things are still fun, but I like to think I've got a much bigger repertoire of enjoyment um, and that I didn't know, like as an example, work can be enjoyable, right? Whereas I did not say that, you know, almost anything in year 12, like the most enjoyable thing was the ones that I got the best marks in, but there was no chance on earth that I would be doing them in my spare time for fun. I absolutely hell no, right? Mm. Whereas work, like, I don't want to, like, I, am I doing it partially for money? Yes. But also, if I had enough money to not need to work, I wouldn't not work. Whereas, you know, I would work on things a lot. 
Um, and so to me, work being fun as an example. And then there are many, many different types of like relationship enjoyment, some of which I didn't sort of understand. So like we've taught us in the past. So to me, some parts of relationships is actually just downside life insurance. So, you know, you're there for the bad times and the good times. They help you when you, you know, you're having, you know, a bad day or whatever. And actually I find being able to help people if they're having a bad day can be really enjoyable and perhaps it's rewarding, but like it's a different kind of, you know, thing. And I don't want to do it all the time. And if someone is unnecessarily having a whinge, then sometimes they need a bit of tough love, but other times they need love, love, you know? Um, and so anyways, to me, it's like, well, what are the most enjoyable things for you today? And just going through a few of them and discussing why and the definitions of why um, was what I thought could be enjoyable. Uh, yeah, thoughts, James? So we're just going to ignore the fact that Duncan just confessed to playing poker at the ripe old age of 10. No, we were talking about when we were teenagers, late teenagers. <laughs> yeah. well, I remember we play, in junior school, we went to the snow and we would play poker. But I didn't, I've forgotten what kind of poker it was. I don't think it was Texas Hold'em. I'm pretty sure it wasn't. Oh, it, it was some version of Up and Down River, Gin Rummy, or you know, maybe Snap. It like, definitely wasn't Texas Hold'em. I don't even know what it's called because I only play Texas Hold'em. <laughs> I don't know the names of the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I play a pretty mean game of Snap. If you, if you ever, <laughs> I've, you know, I've beaten an eight and a five year old pretty consistently now. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. Fair um, but, you know, going through all of your descriptions of what you've enjoyed and um, how you derive fun from that, um, I think you can kind of pick out different elements there because work is a really good example, right? So you you say that you work um, not just to earn money, but because it's enjoyable and you derive meaning from that, but, or like you, it, it makes you happy, but it's also a very different sensation. I would, um, I would think to something that is, you know, a pleasurable experience like skiing or playing games or having fun with your friends. So the way I think of it is there's three types of enjoyment. There's the activity itself. So you do something just because of the activity. And I, I would put skiing under that uh, category. Mm -hmm. There's the outcome you obtain. So you enjoy something when you accomplish it. Like you can actually enjoy a game more because there is a chance you could win. You enjoy work more because it means that you're producing something of value. Uh, so I think of that as, you know, something that gives you this sense of, you know, it, it is a net good. And then the last one is the meaning it gives you. So you enjoy something that gives you a purpose. So like Duncan's job right now in helping, um, you know, high school education that has, a I would say, a lot of meaning attached to it because it's improving education for, you know, people across Australia, hopefully, you know, more than that. So when I think of, do I enjoy doing something, whether it's having fun, you know, being in the company of friends, you know, building a family of my own or the work that I do, I try and look at it through those different lens. Like, is it the activity? Is it the accomplishment or is it the meaning? And that's a nice lens. So activity, accomplishment or meaning, is that what you said? One lens that I had sort of on this, um, which is in a blog that we'll link to is, I say I do five days a week of purpose, one day a week of play and one day a week of peace. And so purpose meaning is where that might overlap with what you just said. So, so for me here, like purpose is fourth order happiness. So first find a way to make the world better. Then from that, you can find some meaning or purpose, take on some responsibility to make a change. Cause you can find a way to make the world better and do nothing about it. Well, you're not going to probably get much meaning from it. Three, get meaning purpose Four, happiness, right? And then play is like no responsibility times fun equals happiness. So that's things like poker or skiing and then peace 
is calm or rest. So, you know, the Buddhists will say that the absence of desire is happiness. Um, mm. Now, I think that's one form of happiness, but in my opinion, hopefully not the only form of happiness. And so like on your peace day, um, you just, you know, no desire, you know, relaxing, you know, you know, meditating, but in the purpose days, like, yeah, I am desiring to make a change big time, you know, and that's not just ro- not wrong. It's okay. Um, you don't have to accept everything. Um, if you accept everything, then you don't make any change. And there's that whole George Bernard Shaw quote, the reasonable person adapts themselves to the world. The unreasonable that person adapts the world to them. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable person. And so I think that if you want to make a change, you've got to change the world in some way, right? You can't think so. And purpose. And so for me, for instance, five days a week, having that as the kind of MO makes sense, but not seven days a week. And so it's interesting. And I think you can, you can talk about like purpose from a family, like you are taking on responsibility. And this is one of the things that's sort of interesting. When you care, you're willing to hurt for something. That's like one measure of care. The more you care about something, the more you're willing to hurt. And one side of hurt is like, work is the most rewarding thing I've done and the most stressful thing I've done. And I'm just taking like just a very simple definition of good and bad, like rewarding and stress, right? And it's more than that, but let's just, and perhaps care is the portion of reward to stress that you will be able to take on and still feel that it was worthwhile, still look overall, be like, yeah, I'll do it again. And perhaps that's even enjoyability. Like it's something that you felt was worth the experience. And so sometimes like, I don't know, like you go through periods that weren't, you know, necessarily fun periods, but with the benefit of hindsight, you learn something, you know, post-traumatic growth and it was worth it. So it was, I suppose, enjoyable in some respects. Or, or you could just be slightly masochistic, like masochistic, <laughs> not masochistic, um, but go on. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So one thing I want to say directly to that is how interesting it is that there are, you know, uh, you know, things that you can partake in that do cause discomfort or pain in the interim, but you still derive a lot of enjoyment or satisfaction from it. But I can I can think of some forms of sport, like in the um, in senior school, I did rowing, and I don't know if the act of sitting on a very very narrow boat with an oar and just going back and forth and putting it into the water uh, <laughs> in, in of itself enjoyable. In fact, it would very very uh, strenuous. And at times painful, hmm. but I took a lot of enjoyment out of rowing. Hmm. I derived a, like it, it wasn't meaning. I would say it was very high on accomplishment, hmm. and like the activity itself. Probably, play. It's a form of play to me. Yeah, it's but, like a game. You want to win the game, or whatever of like the race. Yeah, but it, it's really interesting to try and dissect what is it exactly that I enjoyed so much about rowing. Because mm. you can't say what well, is the camaraderie of being in a you know a small team of people. Like there are plenty of other things that you could do to derive that same sense of enjoyment. It wasn't mm. the, the the peacefulness of being on the water the first thing in the morning. Like you could go surfing and do that and have a lot more fun at the same time. <laughs> so um, yeah, I think it's super interesting trying to understand that you know enjoyment of things is not just this black and white world. It's some you know biological sensation that you you know you like the taste of something or the sight of something. It's more about well. How did this actually, you know, you know, apply itself to you in a meaningful way? Um, so the other thing I wanted to also kind of like comment on with your, uh, you know, how you approach your week is it seems to me that enjoyment requires some kind of balance. 
because if you try to have seven days of purpose and no days of peaceful play, then the work that you find purposeful and, and enjoyable, I would say quickly becomes unenjoyable because you, you're out of balance. And if you just had seven days of play and no purpose or peace, it might be the same thing. So there might be this semblance of like too much or too little of something is part of the equation to finding something enjoyable. Yeah, I think so. Um, just from my side, I know this is like one model, like the, the purpose time, the play time, the peace time. I think that sport, um, you know, almost everyone will have played some sport at some point. Winning feels better than losing, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure this is like some giant, you know, secret that nobody else knows about, right? And you can support your AFL team or whatever it is, right? You know, it's someone you like playing tennis. And if the person you support wins, you feel happy. And if they lose, you don't, you know, you feel sad or whatever else it is. And so I think you can understand that. And I think that some people's jobs are entertainment. And I think entertainment is a really important component um, of life. Um, but I also think that, as an example, most people will spend the majority of their waking hours working. And I believe that it's better to enjoy that than to not enjoy it, right? If the only reason for work is money, and that is a valid reason and a fair one and more than enough, um, then okay. But it would be better to have some money as well as some enjoyment. And so to me, yeah, I didn't know that. And that's, I suppose, like one of the sort of things that I'd love to be able to hope to help younger people understand a bit more is that work can be excuse me enjoyable and i think one of the core ways to have that start is that learning can be enjoyable um because for me anyway like learning was only done under the you know context of well you get better grades you get a better job and a better job gets paid more and all else equal it's better to be rich than poor so you're playing the game called getting better grades so you can have a good job but i wasn't called learning is fun and you can help the world and you know this is an interesting thing that that didn't enter the equation um, so yeah, I think this balance thing was sort of there. And I thought I was going to ask you like, yeah, cause work for me now is easily the most, uh, you know, rewarding thing. Uh, so we call that purpose, which is a type of enjoyment and the most stressful thing I, I've ever done. Like, but, but like an order of you know magnitude on both fronts. Right. <laughs> um, and, and is family, would you put family in the purpose bucket? or the meaning bucket. If, if we're having this, like there's a purpose type of enjoyment, there's play, which is kind of hedonistic in some respects. And then there's peace, which is just, you know, chilling. You know, maybe that's not a, the right model to have, but where would you put family? I'm interested. I would, I would definitely put it in the purpose bucket. Like to me, it's the most meaningful. Most thing. stressful thing you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. well. I, and I'm not getting paid at all. <laughs> I'm keeping <laughs> money into this thing. It's the hardest job ever and I don't even get paid. I don't even get paid. What's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, well, you know, when, when, when I'm old, decrepit and senile, I'm sure they will take care of me. <laughs> no um for me family is the most meaningful thing that i've um undertaken so mm -hmm. similar to like I've, I've uh discussed with you this with you a while ago like you can have a, a macroscopic lens or a microscopic lens on how you um bring value to the world and so from a macroscopic lens building a business makes total sense because if you can bring the most value to the most people possible, then you're going to, you know, have a significant impact. But for me, it's from a microscopic and a deep lens in terms of if I can commit as much of my own time, resource and love to my family, then that's going to have the most meaningful outcome for me. So I'm not going to save the world per se, as some people might be on their own, uh, you know, um, messiah, uh, messianic uh, tendency. But 
raising my own family, um, you know, having my relationship with my partner, raise, helping to raise my two girls is by far the most purposeful, purposeful thing um, that I can possibly imagine. Well, that's interesting because you said you could possibly imagine. And I think, I don't know if you're indoctrinated to say this, like there, there are only 24 hours in a day. And so, you know, you, you simply can't do everything. Um, and so to me, can this be a path to purpose? Yes. Can work be a path to purpose? Does it have to be one or the other? No, I don't think it does. I think you can have it in both realms. Yeah. Um, and so to me, one thing like you should be able to, I suppose, hopefully, extract if you're helping somebody and that person is literally in front of you then if you help them presumably there's a very short feedback loop like you know and you can see that so as an example sorry you'd be surprised (laughs) well like i used to be quite jealous because you know enrollo makes educational resources for schools and we will go to schools and watch a little bit but you might be there for one period and then you're not the teacher teaching in the class you know you're kind of observing and so we make the resources and then we don't get to use the resources you know, really. And we need to understand how they're used. Um, and so I was a bit jealous. I was like, I wanted to be a teacher too. And I wanted to use them. And I wanted to see how they're hopefully helping and that they're a step forward over what they were using prior to Red Roller as an example. And so you should probably be able to derive more meaning or sorry, more meaning is the right word, reward, like, but like, we'll call it like, you know, um, chemical reward from that. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't be able to, if you're helping like, I don't know, 10,000 students or something, necessarily be this. So it probably is less per student, but it might be more in, in aggregate. And so I don't think it needs to be or. Like I think it can be and. Yeah. Um, and hang on. Um, to me, it's not like you have to choose. So like you, you can you can hopefully be a good, you know, parent and a good helper at work. Um, and which one's more rewarding? Well, that's dependent upon you. Like, you know, it's not like I think that family is always more rewarding. So as an example, like, I don't know, you take two, you know, Steve Jobs and, and Elon Musk. I don't think people will call them fathers of the year necessarily, right? Um, but I think that they, you know, I think could have been good fathers in some respects, but the, the amount of impact that they've had to the world is is extreme. And so I think it's interesting from that side. Yeah, so um, no one's saying that you do one to the detriment of the other. And I would only, um, you know, suggest that we bring it back to the idea of balance. I certainly think that if I spend 100% of my time um, you know, dedicating myself to my family, that would be out of balance and that would become not enjoyable for everyone's sake very quickly. But the same thing is true. If I spend 100% of my time focusing what on- What are my- you talking down to stay-at-home parents, James? That is a really rude thing to do. Sorry, go on, yeah. Um, my wife is a stay-at-home parent and even she understands the necessity to have time to herself, time to be able to do other things, um, mm-hmm. time to sleep, like i mean if you're not like i don't know you work whatever 40 50 60 hours a week mm-hmm. and if those hours are spent on the family as an example that can be an extraordinarily rewarding thing yeah, um, yeah. so like, there's I, less I, balance you're going to call it yeah I, I guess what i want to make sure um that we're not getting confused is that you don't say it's just one or the other but for me when asked what is the most purposeful thing i would mm-hmm. choose family other work that doesn't mean that I would then neglect work because here I am uh, at eight o'clock in the morning about to start my working day. Um, but that still, I think, you know, comes back to your own personal hierarchy of values. And the other thing I'll say is that one of the things that people deliberate over constantly when it comes to enjoyment is whether you place the value of quantitative or qualitative uh, experience um, at the top. So, you know, you can say quantitatively, you know, building a company 
that helps tens of thousands, perhaps millions of people, has a significant quantitative factor. But for me, you know, seeing the birth of my two children. You are a shallow human and you must have it in front of you. And you, yeah, you know. (laughs) And seeing them, you know, and um, seeing them grow up into the girls that they are today and hopefully, you know, the women they become later on has a qualitative factor that I don't think, you know, can be measured the other way. So Hold on a second. You've just talked down to stay-at-home parents and gender label to your, to your children. As in, what kind of ridiculous moral hierarchy have you got rolling around here? Sorry. I'm sorry that I assigned your gender without your permission. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's going, yeah. Sorry, it's me joking. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, sorry, uh, keep going. Yeah, if you're finished, um, please, yeah. So, yeah, so, like, I think the, the main thing is for you to not get caught up in what other people will tell you should be the most joy, enjoying uh, thing for you to dedicate your life to or to have as part of your life. If something, you know, it had more meaning to you, then I think it only serves for you to try your best to understand why that is more enjoyable or meaningful. Yeah. Also, like, again, like, this is the main lens here, and I'll, and I'll put a link to the definitions in the, in the, in the um, description. You know, three areas, purpose-led enjoyment, play-led enjoyment, and peace-led enjoyment. And what the sort of meaning is that, like, as like a teenager, which I have, I think, relatively good memories of, like single-digit Duncan, it's quite hazy. I didn't understand peace-led enjoyment. Like, doing nothing was called boredom, was called loneliness and FOMO, right? I'm on holiday this week, and someone asked me what's, what was I planning to do, and I'm like, just relax. Just get to be rested, Right? Um, what are you doing? A staycation. Like I'm literally not going anywhere. Um, and if you put this as an idea to like 18 year old me, what are you going to do? You're going to stay in Melbourne. You're not going to go anywhere. What are you, I'm going to go to my favorite cafes and you know, I'm going to sleep in. I'm going to go to the gym, the same gym that I always go to. Right. I would have been like, are you insane? Like this is absurd. Right. Um, and so I didn't, and then also like, yeah, I'm going to meditate. I'm going to go, you know, and this is my Saturday. Like I'm going to get a massage this morning because it's actually, it's very hard for me to meditate for 90 minutes. Um, but if you get a massage, it's a form because instead of concentrating your breath, you concentrate on where they're like pushing on your back or whatever. And it, it's a form of being able to focus and stop, you know, thinking about whatever thoughts on and feeling whatever feelings you have. And so to, for, for teenager Duncan, the peace type of, of enjoyment was actually called unenjoyment you know, was called loneliness, FOMO, et cetera. The play one, I got that, but I would need to be doing on holidays play the whole time. So, so you go to like a new place, you know, and you're, you're experiencing it. And so I remember I went to Europe with some buddies when we were at uni for uh, 30 days. And I think we went out every day in a row, like drinking, going around, meeting people. The idea of going out every night sounds like torture now, you know, like, do I want to like go out like, I don't know, once, night a week maximum two sure any more than that like no thank you but i still get play but like i suppose the portion of my life that i want to be you know is much lower and then there's the purpose component i didn't you know i was just drifting through life on the path that was laid out in front of me it's like go to school get good grades go to the next year level you know try to do well at sport you know you know etc and so purpose was minimal um as a teenager and now if i had to attribute where the portion of like enjoyment comes from. It was like, my life is the least enjoyable it's ever been and the most enjoyable it's ever been. <laughs> um, it's just that I would like to get rid of the unenjoyable parts and keep the enjoyable parts. Um, but it's, it'd be something like 
80-90% purpose is where the enjoyment comes and 99% of where the unenjoyment comes. <laughs> Play is something like 5-10% of where the enjoyment and there's not really unenjoyment that comes from play. And peace is where 5 to 10% of the enjoyment comes from. Um, but as an 18-year-old, it was like 0% purpose, 100% play, negative you know, 10%, 20% in peace because being alone with lonely and boredom. you know. But so it's total change, basically. Hmm. Well, I mean, I, I can see that. And I just wonder how much of that is Duncan just willingly putting himself in situations where he has to deal with it obscene amount of pain and how much of it is no, none of it's willing <laughs> this is not by design like, i do not want to be in pain this is definitely not by choice yeah <laughs> uh, but how much of it is what we could probably consider to be a form of the um you know of a child's journey where you know in a good childhood let's like, try and generalize that everybody gets the same experience because unfortunately some do not but in a good childhood you know, it's it's kind of like you have zero responsibility and 100% potential. And mm-hmm. and so you're, I guess, and, and if you get all of the basics met, let's say, you know, the two, first two, three levels of Maslow's hierarchy of need, then mm-hmm. what we're really looking for is how can you engage in play? How you can you build social connections? Mm-hmm. When you start to grow up, when you go through that adolescent phase, that's, the, I would say, is the transition to you forming your own identity. Right, because you would um, when you're when you're a baby, you don't have an identity. You don't even know you're separate to your mother. Then you start um, I, like then you start identifying yourself in contrast to your relationship. And then when you're an adolescent, um, some people say that that's when you start to figure out who you are. And at this point, enjoyment takes start to take on a different meaning. And I would say um, by the time you're in your twenties and thirties, now that you are an adult and you have no longer a hundred percent potential, no longer a hundred percent freedom. You've got a lot more responsibility. That's mm-hmm. things that have meaning and purpose start to become more enjoyable. And so mm-hmm. that's why I think like, you know, the things that you and I derive pleasure and enjoyment from today, I would say not a hundred percent overlap. There's, you know, a little bit like, you know, a little bit of Mario Kart, a little bit of you know, yeah. game still, um, still in the mix, but nowhere near as much as when we were children, because our, model of the world and the way in which we interact with it is very different as an adult because we're now the ones who have to be uh you know in charge of our own survival per se yeah um well this is one i'd actually written down so maybe we shift gears slightly from one of the models i think you 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 and i had a three model one which kind of overlaps you had meaning i had purpose i forgot what it was there was sort of similar right and it was it was like cool you know teenager duncan really only had one and now shifted into this. And so to me, the, the main hack, I suppose, is that I think you can care carefully. You can care without crying. Um, and so you want to take on responsibility, but you don't want to get yourself into a circumstance where you're getting crushed by things. Um, and yeah, you know, that can happen and don't let, try to let it happen. So the next one is like, maybe let's do Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Because I think that it is, is one way of ascending things, right? And you kind of start with that a little bit. So like level one is like, psychological need like breathing food water shelter clothing sleep ideological um oh yeah so ideological yeah, thank you um that hopefully you know you are in a in a family that um that has that um but to me like this is one of the things we should talk about like food god it's good and this is the other thing like do, do, like people like whatever even a hundred years ago they didn't have dentists you know they didn't have fridges they didn't have they had power in 1900 one percent of houses had power right 
Um, and so there's no like supermarkets like we think of today where there's everything on there. Like you're basically eating some kind of gruel, some kind of stew every day, right? Um, and then you had horrible breath because you didn't brush your teeth and you were losing your teeth all over the place. Do you know what I mean? And so you probably wouldn't have been able to taste much of it because it was being tainted with god-awful gum disease, right? Um, and so to me, I don't know, like I remember asking my father who I think has very, very good mental health and he's, you know, a good amount of, you know, purpose-led enjoyment, play enjoyment and peace-led enjoyment. Like what percentage of your happiness is food related? It's like 80%. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just like waiting for each meal. Like, oh, and so, I don't know. What do you think? Like from when you were young, do you think like you enjoy food as much? Because I remember, you know, you and I have been friends forever. You would eat the most boring food, like plain pasta with butter. Yeah. And I'm like, buddy, like, you know, so, so what portion of food happiness was like young James versus now? Do you think your enjoyment of food has gone up or down or yeah? I would certainly say it's gone up, but in a different way. Like I still enjoyed food. Like <laughs> let's not forget there were things such as lollies and <laughs> ice cream and chocolate that I would say is probably the apex of your mission in life as a child, which is how do I... <laughs> Yeah. How do I get the next hit of this? Yeah. You know, uh, like if you want to create incentive or bribe children, all you need is sugar. Like that is it. Um, so I I remember very well how boring my palate was. Like, yeah, I would not eat a lot of meals that I consider to be the most enjoyable things uh, in my booty life today. Um, but I definitely still would play food as one of the highest, orders of enjoyment all through my life and if you think about this like 80 percent is not absurd like you've got three meals a day you might have a couple of snacks in between you might want to fix yourself a drink at some point in the day as well like if you chalk that up to how much time you're actually spending eating and drinking and let's just say if you're doing it well you're deriving 100 percent enjoyment from every time you're doing that that's a good couple of hours every day you're enjoying so it's not too absurd that, you know, someone like Warwick would think that 80% of his enjoyment is derived from eating. Yeah. So that's the bottom one. It's funny, like food, this, and then there's like safety and security. Um, so hopefully, you know, you, there are definitely people. This is the thing, like, your world is so small. Like, I look at my niece, who's two and a half. And she doesn't like, you know, like, do her parents, you know, I, you know, presumably worry about, you know, paying the bills and other stuff. And like, you know, I think it, it's like, you know, they're late, late 30s, early 40s. I think, you know, at that point, you're probably at maximum debt in your life. You know, they've bought they, they bought a house when they were at like 30 and they bought a second one a few years ago because then, you know, they need more space because they've got two kids or whatever. Um, and I don't, the house is now big enough, whereas the previous house I agree with them was like, would have been like busting at the seams. And so right now is like maximum point of debt, right? Minimum point of buffer. Like you lose your job now. It's like, I've got like three months until I no more money left. And, you know, hopefully when you're like 60 or 70, or whatever, you've paid off your mortgage. Um, and so, you know, you know, if you did lose your job or something, you're, you know, you, you don't immediately run out of money or something. So there's that. But then this is another one, like love and belonging, friendships, family, et cetera. At school, being cool, mattered. And like having friends or whatever, and now I don't give a flying F about being cool or friends or any of that stuff. I and mean, then, you know, there would be people like, are you invited to some party or something? And so like, instead of like, I don't know, doing well, you know, academically, which I think is cool, you know, it's almost not cool to do well. Academically. That, Duncan. Huh? 
keep telling yourself that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I mean, there are certainly schools, you know, I've been to where, where the academic culture is doing well academically is looked up to. And there are schools where it's looked down to. Um, and, and honestly, like all else equal, knowledge work is kind of the future and the physical work is, you know, recline, declining. And so doing well at work, I think, is one important component. But anyways, the point I'm trying to get to here is like love and belonging. Like maybe this is the case. So, you know, they talk about the numbers of people that loneliness is a rising epidemic um, and the people that have close friends that we had to call on someone. I'm sure you've seen all those stats, James. You know, if, if you know, life gets bad. I don't personally feel that for me. Like I've got really good friends like you like moth, like, you know, whatever, right? And I've got some really close people that I work with as well that I consider to be not just like work friends, but like friend friends, you know, <laughs> um, that you talk about stuff. Um, and so this is interesting. Love and belonging, because I hadn't thought of it for so long, was an area of sort of angst. You want to have friends. You want to be making friends, you know. Now, like, I don't really care about making new friends. I do want to make new friends each year, but it's not something that worries me in the slightest, you know, whereas... I don't know, like there's some social social hierarchy. I remember your daughter, I remember Izzy was like, I wonder who's the coolest girl at school, you know? And she said that when we were, she was at dinner. And that, things that I don't think about, who's the coolest person at work or, you know, whatever. Like, oh, do I have cool friends? Or is there a cool party to go to? Could not give a flying F, right? Um, and so, I mean, that's an area of angst, I suppose, as a teenager, which doesn't exist in my life anymore. Do you have any thoughts on that one? Do you, do you worry about friends or loneliness or something? Yeah, right. so um, I still put it through the same lens as uh, earlier. So you can use the theory of adult development, or you can use um, you know the the idea of uh, of identity, which is when you're a child slash adolescent, um, you know these theories posit that your sense of self, your identity, is tied to your relationships, tied to your social connections. Whereas when you're much older, or potentially when your mind has developed further, mm. your sense of self and your identity derive from internal uh, actions so when you're uh you know when you're in the socialized mind um keegan i think yeah your 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 values derive from your connection to other um people and so like that's why i would say you know the highest form of value is to be famous when you're at this stage like that's what a, a teenager yeah yeah that's why yeah i know I, I want to be famous now I'm like, I don't definitely not want to be famous. <laughs> right. So I would I would posit that people who go through this are going through this phase because they think that when you when your sense of when you, the way you value yourself is based on how you're perceived by others, fame is considered to be the highest order of that. Mm. Or one or two step down being cool. Right. And <laughs> like exactly the same thing. Like to be cool at school, um, I would say is the highest value attainment because then you are looking at yourself through how others perceive you where when you get past that stage and hopefully most people do that's no longer your highest value your highest value is like well how do you associate to yourself how do you actually value um you know things in your life from your own perspective rather than based on how other people perspective you? so what what i would say to that is that i think you know like for me personally uh, it's very natural for you know someone to want to be cool. And by the way, Duncan, books are for nerds. All right. So books ah, are awesome. Whatever. <laughs> I don't care. Like being a nerd is cool now. Um, whereas being at school, being a nerd, I was a nerd, was not cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like I like, you know, learning and nerding out on stuff. It's great fun. Right, right. And um, you know, and we definitely I think will be really good to talk about 
the the enjoyment around learning um, in just a moment. But this yeah. idea of um, you know wanting to be cool, be famous, have friends is all on a thing on, on the same spectrum, which is the way in which you derive value from other people's perception of you. Whereas now that we're older and much grayer, uh, I would say that we we're operating on a different uh, spectrum, which is how we think of ourselves. And mm-hmm. so that's why things like learning, which doesn't necessarily change other people's perception of us, but it changed our perception of ourselves because now we know something or we're, we're capable of something that we weren't before. Mm. So that's why, um, you know, someone like Jordan Peterson says, like, the only person you should be in competition with is yourself from yesterday, right? If mm. you're not growing, then you're then you're slowly dying. Those, um, those kinds of th- um, ways of thinking is this idea of, well, I want to continue to level myself up because I want to be better than I was yesterday. I want to be, you know, better as a, in, as a worker, better as a parent, better as an individual, blah, blah, blah. So that's what I derive enjoyment from now. Yeah, it's interesting. So I like this going through time because like, change so to me there is a social hierarchy at school and i'm there probably still is today i just i cared about it at school and i could not give a flying f about it today um like you know esther perel the quality of your life is the quality of relationships which is i think partially derived from that the longest running study ever which is on those people from harvard right and if, if you look over their lives and some of them are still alive they're in their 90s or whatever they are now that if they look back what was it is like the quality of the relationships not like or was I relate, you know, having a relationship with the cool person or something? And so to me, I think it's shifting. And so this is an interesting one because do you think, so yeah, to me, quality relationships and it's not because like when we were hanging out, like, you know, as a teenager, like we didn't know much. And so it was like, well, if there wasn't, there was much less talking, but and it was more playing. Like we would hang out and we'd play Nintendo or we'd play, go out to the pub and try to pick up like seriously, you know, or, or we'd play, you know, whatever, going to the beach and, and going for a swim or something, as opposed to the, the, the main thing that I want to do with people now is to have a chat and not like some DNM necessarily. I'm very fine for that, but just chat about the world. I mean, this is super interesting, you know? And so the game is now, well, purpose, like chatting, understanding, like, what do you think of, you know, whatever it is, the voice, you know, how do you think about like, I don't know what happened in Russia, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so to me, do, do you think you have, like enough so there's like quantity times quality of relationships in your life well I, you know it, it just it reminds me of the saying like you know small minds discuss people average minds discuss um events great minds discuss ideas and i think said that i haven't heard that quote in ages yeah I, I can't remember um but i think it's also not necessarily small average great mind but it's also um you know where you are on your own journey because i think you do go through a phase where all that matters is other people, right? When, you know, you're a child, all that matters are your parents. When you're a teenager, all that matters are your friends. I'm, I'm grossly simplifying here. Yeah. Uh, and, but when you are a fully formed and independent adult, I would say what mostly what matters are, you know, maybe a bit of events and some, and ideas as mm. opposed to hearing what other people think. So it's, it's almost like there's evolution through these things, not necessarily purely dictated by time, but mm. maybe levels of maturity. I don't know. But, um, you know, the idea about, you know, thinking and discussing ideas is almost, for me, a psychological form of novelty and exploration that travel would traditionally set, um, serve, right? You go, you travel, you go to new places, you go yeah, to... Yeah, I'm the mind to travel, not the body. 
Like yeah, I want exactly. to visit new ideas. Like this is part of the thing. Like I'm, I'm going to the hairdresser to get my hair dyed later today. It takes three hours. And I'm looking forward to sitting there with my laptop because all these things that I've been wanting to go and look at, but I haven't had time to. And like, this is your holidays, like sitting down and reading some things. And I'm like, yeah, but in a non-stressed fashion, it's like optional fun reading, not get this out quickly. We, we, otherwise there's consequences. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But like it's the same as like you know when you would travel and you go to the Acropolis in Greece and you'd be like you know people built this thousand years ago this is amazing, or mm. you could actually you know stay home and learn about something new, you know like you know you know you can three D print something out of a um, out of a program this is amazing. <laughs> so for me like the you know it's, it's similar to the body has limitation but the mind doesn't like you know to travel through physical space has limitation but to travel through mental space doesn't. Mm. So I think like for me, like it's it's almost like a new experience or a new adventure or a new journey every single time I'm sitting down to learn something new. And that's why I find it. Mm. Well, it's a form of play in some respects. Um, you're playing a game called learning. Whereas I, I didn't understand. <laughs> this is that... why Duncan isn't a teacher. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, but like it, it can be a form of like, I, I did not get that. And so, but this is something like, so you um, also didn't necessarily answer the question, but that's fine. Like to me, they say, well, I don't know, that you, you have the ability to know relatively at f- close to full resolution what's happening in about 10 people's lives. Sure, can you know in five? Can you know 12? Yeah, but 20, it gets too hard, right? I and think- so one hack to a good life is to have 10 people, you know, or at least five, where you kind of know what's going on enough that you can chat about things. You know, you don't have to, you know, run out or whatever. And so to me, if you look at the stats, the number of people that are really close in the developed world is declining. And so most people don't have the quantity of people. And one part of life is just downside life insurance. Like something goes bad, is someone there to help you? But hopefully that's not all that friendship is. You know, they can add upside too, right? And it appears that on average, the quantity is declining, the number of people you have and the quality, the you know, in the, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of mateship, you know, across these things is declining too. But I don't honestly feel that. Like I feel that I have, better quality relationships in all areas of my life or not that's not true in in most areas um than i had before and so there's not some sort of like barren relationship side um and it's great and so this love and belonging layer is the probably the best it's ever been that's not true again i should take that back there are certain areas at the moment which need to be worked upon um but an overriding sort of thing you know it's it's great and and i suppose yeah it's something that I think one should proactively try to work on. Um, and it's a foundational element without high quality and quantity of relationships. You don't want the maximum quantity, but you don't need enough. Like if you've only got one good, good relationship, that's probably not great, you know? Um, but if you're trying to have 50, that's probably doing it wrong too. You know, the 10 is a number that a lot of people put out there. So mm. yeah, I don't know. I think it's really important to proactively work on. Like I work on trying to build a better relationship with my parents, an example or, you know, my nieces or James. And so the podcast is one example of a proactive way to try to improve our relationship. Yeah, when I think of the the number of relationships one could possibly sustain uh, and, and you think of Dunbar's number, which is 150, I'm like, 150? I don't think I could men- name 150 people that I've met in my entire life. Like, <laughs> like, cannot be done. So I don't know how they're achieving that number, but I'm much more aligned with this idea of having 10 close relationships in your life um but i do think there is something to be said about you know your comment around like is this something that is increasing or decreasing you know in today's world and 
it does in some respect appear to be decreasing across both spectrums, which is the quantity of your relationships and the quality of your relationships. Um, you know, in the same study that you and I have been talking about in the last couple of episodes, where Jonathan Haidt talks about like what is affecting teenagers and their levels of depression today, one of the theories that they posit, this is not you know founded or anything, is that because they spend additional time on their screens and for some cohorts it's up to eight hours a day that is time taken away from them that they could be spending on nurturing real life relationships or relationships in real life and so like yeah i do think that there are certain things that have been set up today that prevent us from having you know the 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 most fruitful possible relationship with the most meaningful number of people um for me personally, like having my own family where I have my wife, my two girls that I see every single day that we, you know, we nurture and we build every single day is in, immensely meaningful and rewarding for me. Having friends like Duncan, who I get to talk to, let's just say once a week, um, mm-hmm. is also immensely rewarding to me. So like, I definitely think that, you know, the, the Harvard um, study over 70 years, they found that the quality of your life is based on the quality of your relationships. Mm. Uh, I do think that, you know, to to have, to find out what is the most enjoyable things in your life, a lot of the time it comes back to, well, who is it that you're doing it with? Yes. Well, this is, this is a sort of way, like, self-esteem, honestly, I think probably for most people as a teenager, there are multiple variables, but probably the biggest one is social status and famous being the kind of thing, but, you know, cool being a sort of, like, I suppose, a lesser version because you kind of, famous in a small realm or something right um and then hopefully self-esteem but you can also be related to things like academic achievement sport achievement you know other things like that right um anyways um to me you can and i think ideally would have great relationships at work and that these things are not just circumstantial like if you left work you still keep in touch with these people um and sometimes you're just work friends. Like I've had friends, like, I don't know, at Google or something. Um, and we were friends. Like we would go out on the weekends and talk, you know, whatever. And you invited to their wedding or something, right? Um, but you weren't necessarily working together on much. You, you, you know, every now and then you had like a little bit of working together, but it was more just like, hey, let's go, you know, get lunch or something. Because, you know, I don't know, you're in the same building, et cetera. And, and you know, what are you on the weekend? Like, ah, oh, you know, let's, you know, go to this, you know, band or you know concert or something but I, I think since then i've had like i think because sometimes in work you're stuck with a person you know for better or worse kind of thing like you say that you know the family you don't choose and you can't get rid of or you can i suppose <laughs> but like this but then this is an interesting thing like for you know for the vast majority of people they're spending the, the majority of their waking hours working on something and if you're founding a business as an example it's 10 years they sort of normally talk about and you spend far more time with these people than they spend with for instance their wife or their children um and you can have deeply rewarding, productive relationships or deeply dysfunctional relationships. Um, and they can also change from rewarding to dysfunctional and back again, you know, <laughs> such as life sort of thing. Um, anyways, I suppose the point is that, that I wanted to put out there is that I didn't understand even five years ago. And this is someone who has founded a business, um, you know, as a co-founder, how deep relationships can get when you're in business um, and 
uh, you know, I think most parents are just minders. They're not helpers. They're literally, you know, they can be replaced by the, the nanny getting paid minimum wage to change the nappy and do, you know, menial housework. You know, uh, some parents are doing a lot more than that. But honestly, like 90% of parents, it's minding to me. Um, anyways, the point I'm trying to get to is some of the most rewarding, if not the most rewarding. No, nah, the most rewarding. This is going to, you know, hi, mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in my life are work ones mm. because you you are you are building something together deeply and you're not just minding a, a thing so it doesn't die like oh it needs a new nappy oh it, oh it needs to sleep oh it needs you know a bottle or something right um so for most parents the upside that is added through for instance kinder and school for their children so parents do proactive downside removal giving a hug you know changing nappy passive adding upside some do proactive adding upside but school is about proactive upside, as an example. So this is something I suppose to just put out there. Work relationships, and I didn't know this, can be deeply rewarding. The most rewarding. Now, rewarding and necessarily valuable aren't always the same. So the most valuable relationship in my life is my mother. Um, now, perhaps that will change one day. But is it the most rewarding? No. And that's not saying that I don't like my mother. I do. And that we don't have great earnings. We do. But I chat with her one or two hours a week. Whereas some of these people I work with 30 hours or more a week on something, right? And we are, you know, we're right at the top of Maslow's hierarchy, self-actualization, building something. Whereas with mum, it's more catching up, chatting, having a laugh, sometimes getting into something, you know, a bit, you know, deeper than I want to want some feedback on or want to, you know, talk through. So I just thought I'd put that there. Work relationships can be sick. Yeah. So like, I, I do think um, we touched on the idea of how work derived purpose and meaning. Um, relationships, I think, which is related to connection, which is related to belonging, is also something that we also derive a lot of um you know, enjoyment from. Mm. For me, um, like, so I've got a couple of spectrums, Duncan, that I think would be interesting for us to kind of like go through and see how we can use it to break down how we derive enjoyment or meaning from something. So the first one is instant versus delayed gratification, right? Mm -hmm. So on the very far end of the spectrum, things that are enjoyable in the moment and like, let's just put chocolate there, right? So eating chocolate in the moment is instantly enjoyable. And then at the other end is delayed gratification. Things that you do knowing that you're going to enjoy it later down the track. So you've got the marshmallow test as a very rudimentary example of that. But I would probably put work in there as well. Now, not, that's not to say that you can only be at one end. I would say that most things has some flip side. So mm -hmm. you, know, you can have work that's enjoyable in the moment, but it's mostly enjoyable because of the meaning and the purpose that it generates in the world. And so it's kind of like, well, how do we, um, you know, fit along this spectrum, the amount of time and effort that we want to dedicate to the pursuit of happiness or enjoyment? Like if it's just instant gratification or hedonism, is, are you going to, you know, lead your life to ruin? Whereas some people say the reason why humans were able to evolve beyond the other species is because we learned how to delay gratif gratification. We learned how to put things in place so that we weren't getting instant enjoyment now, but that we'll get a bigger amount of enjoyment or sense of satisfaction or pleasure later on. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it's one thing. Um, I don't know. You can take chocolate as like instant or whatever. Um, but I think also the best things are selfless and selfish. Um, and so you can have instant gratification and, you know, long-term gratification. Um, and so I don't know, like <clears throat> I used to like, I don't know, think I have to exercise to be healthy. But if I got busy at work, I'd be like, oh, not too busy, not doing it, you know. <laughs> um, and now 
in the moment, because I didn't, I suppose I felt like doing exercises like this kind of thing to be healthy. I didn't really enjoy it in the moment. I was kind of, uh, yeah, let's get this over and done with, you know. <laughs> um, whereas, whereas now I really enjoy it. Um, and also I get that kind of delayed, like, you know, I'm not going to hopefully be a really unhealthy 80 year old. I'm going to hopefully be a spry, you know, up and about, you know, sort of person or whatever. But also work, like it can be enjoyable in the short term and in the long term. And so to me, that doesn't mean everything needs to be. Like, I suppose for me, you know, studying at school was not enjoyable in the short term, but the long-term payoff was hopefully a better job and, you know, being, you know, paid more than being paid less and all those opportunities, let's say. Correct, yeah. Um, whereas now, I think it's both. Um, you, you can literally have both, but I suppose another one is like, sometimes you've got to invest. So like, um, I don't know, I'm trying to help my nieces with some products. Um, and so, you know, spending time, building these things and then maybe sometime in the future they might be things that help others and so it's literally spending money but it's enjoyable in the short term um you know but i suppose from a money perspective i'm not making money out of this if that makes sense yeah um, um, so money is another way of looking at it is if you want to have like if you want to maximize enjoyment in your life mm. let's say then where do you put your priorities and i would posit that we put our priorities in the fur- up the further end of the spectrum to say like the priority is delayed gratification that's not mm-hmm. to say if you can also find a way for it to be instantly gratifying, don't do that. I'm saying um, you want to have both. Mm-hmm. But I think learning how to delay gratification, learning how to put things aside and and do hard things now, you know, be slightly masochistic and enjoying the Masochistic, passion. not chistic, kistic. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I, I believe will lead to having more enjoyment in your life. And so I think that's one of that's one in, important lens to go through. The other one I had was there's deriving enjoyment pre, during, and post an event. So you can, I believe, enjoy okay. looking forward to something, right? Like yes. Duncan is on holiday now, so he's in the moment enjoying his holiday. But I would posit that a week ago he was looking forward to this holiday, and then there's post-holiday when you look back and be like man i remember when i got to sit at home and do nothing for a week and that was really good and i'm just like myelinating in that um you know reminiscent kind of like process right now and so i think those are also different aspects of like where you can get enjoyment from yeah i wrote a blog about this one so you know the, the buddhist mantra or mindfulness meditation which is kind of the secular version of buddhism you must be present so you're see here and now. And if you're not, you're unhappy. And I think that your mind can time travel and it would be silly to not do that. Mm. So sometimes it is good to look forward to things that can be healthy. Sometimes it is good to be in the moment and sometimes it is good to reminisce about things. Um, so that is one. And another sort of lens I sort of had for you um, is, you know, the whole Nietzsche. Um, and I'm not sure I didn't pronounce that right because my German is not good. Nietzsche. What does it makes you stronger? Um, I think that's fine, which is a synonym for post-traumatic growth, not post-traumatic stress, which is put another way is either I was right or I learned something. And so attach, you know, the only way to fail is to fail to learn um, yourself to not necessarily being right or wrong or not necessarily this is a good circumstance or a bad circumstance, but to learning. Mm-hmm. And that's another way of the, the Jordan Peterson thing. Don't compare yourself to others, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And to compare yourself to who you were yesterday, if you learn something, Charlie Munger, you know, go to bed each day a little bit wiser. Go to bed each day having learned something. And that over lifetime, that if your rate of learning is is faster than, you know, say others or faster than what it was before, 
overall your enjoyment should hopefully be better than what it was. And so to me, enjoyable from like a definition of a, a teenager Duncan was like, oh, I got something right or, or something good happened, you know, or, you know, I, I got a good grade or, you know, whatever else it is. Whereas now it's trying really to be, well, are you learning? And your rate of learning is the most, one of the most important things to, to, to worry, to, to, to focus on, but that's during the purpose times of life. <laughs> you know, I don't need to be learning the whole time, um, but I certainly want to for probably like, you know, five days a week. Mm. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to like fully land it, but I'm going to try. But this, it made me think of the, the saying, um, knowledge is learned, wisdom is earned. And mm-hmm. what I believe that means is that through life experiences, do you get gain a better understanding of what is going to lead to the things that you want? Mm-hmm. Because for me, yeah, there were a lot of things that we went after when we were little. Like, you know, you could, you could, you could say like from three years old, there were no marshmallow tests. There were just marshmallows. Like there's a marshmallow. <laughs> Whereas now it's not even a second thought that if I'm going to get two marshmallows in 15 minutes, like that is clearly the, the superior outcome for me. And like just extrapolate that outward. That is from earned experiences in life. And so what I've gained through my experiences, the wisdom that I've gained is knowing that, you know, things that are going to give me the most enjoyment aren't always necessarily that which is right in front of me. Like, I know if I'm going to eat that chocolate, I'm going to feel like I've got a sore tummy, you know, <laughs> tomorrow, and it's not going to be worth the price that I pay. Whereas I know that if, you know, Duncan and I have got a podcast and, you know, I want to do some some studying on the topic or I want to do some preparation, like all of the stuff we get to talk about during, before, during, and after the event um, are the type of like things that I enjoy doing much more. So... Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, for me, I think what's fun, like being super lucky to enjoy what's fun about life is that as I get older, it seems easier knowing what it is that I I get enjoyment from. And like, sure, there are things in life that are super hard, like being a responsible adult, like cleaning up after yourself and raising a family or running a business. But you also get to know yourself a lot more and you know what you derive enjoyment from and you know what you need to do to attain that as well. Mm, we should do summary time now. We didn't kind of get to the top part of Master's Hierarchy of Needs, which is like self-actualization. And I would argue that a core component of this, you know, is meaning. It's literally written in there, like meaning, purpose, you know, you know, things. Um, and that to me, purpose is something that is built. Uh, it's not something that you uncover in yourself. So for instance, you find a way to, you know, hopefully raise a family in a way that is helpful, you know, or, or you find a, a way to make the world better through, for instance, I don't know, making education products that you believe are better than the existing ones and that you find meaning and purpose in that. And so this means that purpose cannot be ephemeral. It can be lasting. Um, and so to me, um, I suppose what we're sort of talking about here is like the definition I have for enjoyment was very narrow as a, you know, teenager. It was, it was just like, I don't know, doing the fun thing like it's planning or, or getting to go to like you know some sort of like i don't know holiday or something right um and now enjoyment can be ascribed either at the time or after the time or before the time you know to almost anything like even just thinking about thinking um can be enjoyment you know um and you know doing this podcast can be deeply enjoyable Right. And then listening back, 
like I'm going to go for a drive to a cafe that's far away that I normally don't get to because, you know, normally I'm like, no, I'm not going to the cafe that's half an hour away. I don't have time. I've got to go and get stuff done, you know, but now I'm like, I'm going to the half an hour away cafe, you know, uh, and, and I'll listen to some of the podcasts that James and I did like five years ago. And parts of them will be very enjoyable. Parts of them will be deeply cringe. Um, and like, oh God, I hope no one else listens to this at the moment. Um, but anyways, the point I'm trying to get to is that the definition of enjoyability has expanded to be able to actually encompass effectively everything in my mind. Um, and now what is unenjoyable can be enjoyable in that it is your teacher, in that it is a way to help you learn. Um, and so to me, I suppose the 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 facets of life like unenjoyable unenjoyment can be enjoyment <laughs> to the point that you know and things that have meaning i can build and purpose can be enjoyable and things that have no purpose can be enjoyable and things that are fun can be enjoyable and things that are not fun can be enjoyable you know and being with others can be enjoyable and not being with others can be enjoyable and like, i like i don't know sometimes gorging on food and other times doing a you know a fast for for, for a weekend both can be enjoyable right it's like what I was like, yeah, I know. So, so basically what I'm trying to say is that almost anything can be enjoyable with the right mindset or, or story attached to it. And almost anything can be unenjoyable with the wrong mindset or, or story attached to it. Over to you, James. Thanks, Duncan. Yeah, I feel like, again, we've only really just started to scratch at the surface. There's a, there's a, there's a whole um, you know, bottom that opens itself up to when we want to talk more about what is what does enjoyable really mean? Um, what are these ideas around, um, you know, purpose and meaning that we give ourselves in moments that we enjoy versus don't enjoy but for me so you know talking about things like what enjoyable is is referring to something that gives us pleasure or delight um we can quantify or we can qualify those experiences um but i do believe that is subjective and i do believe it depends on the individual and what your own internal value systems are that um you derive from uh enjoyment changes over a lifespan or over an individual's maturity or growth. When we're very young and very early on, like I think it's very much about instant gratification. I think um, as you grow older, um, it starts to be how you, um, you know, create social connections, you know, want to be cool at school, want to be famous. All of these things I think are the highest order values. And that is, you know, because what you spend your most time doing is what you enjoy playing with your friends, et cetera. But as we get older, as we start to mature more, I think uh, we start to internally um, identify with what is important to us. And so that's why things that we enjoy start to change, things that have more meaning, things that are purposeful, whether that's uh, working in or leading or building a company or you know being a part of or um, growing your own family, I think that you can enjoy in the moment. And that's why spectrums like instant versus delayed gratification, I think are valuable because you can think about things that are enjoyable in the moment versus things that are going to give you more enjoyment later on. Um, and yeah, like, you know, the, the Buddhist saying of like, you know, happiness is the absence of desire, you know, might be true, but that doesn't mean that you can't, as you would say, Duncan, travel through time using just your mind and thinking about things in the future and enjoying the process of looking forward to it, thinking about things in the moment and being present in the moment and enjoying you know, the fact that you are on holiday right now and being able to do that and then looking back reflectively and enjoying the fact that you got to share that time with someone, you know, do that um, sitting on the uh, beach doing nothing or whatever, um, you know, thing that gives you that kind of like uh, satisfaction as well. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Thanks, James. Um, we'll speak to you soon. Yeah, Duncan. I enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah, I give it like a, 
My part, I found very enjoyable. Your parts, not so enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, cool. <laughs> I'll see you soon. Bye.